The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with stocks trying to kick off a new trading month in the green after the Dow and the NASDAQ. They did something for the first time since the dot-com bubble, why it could be a warning sign for investors. Then in Washington, the bipartisan debt deal passes the House by a wide margin and now heads to the Senate for a likely vote tomorrow. The timeline and what that passage means for House Speaker McCarthy's future. And call it a crude crush. Oil coming off its worst month of the year ahead of another key OPEC meeting this weekend and the talk of a possible Saudi-Russia price war bubbling up. Plus, Lucid, it locks in a new lifeline to keep its EV dreams alive. And then later on in the show, we're wrapping up this week-long trip in China, the one thing Elon Musk did not do. It is Thursday, June the 1st, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Thanks for waking up with us. Let's kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures. Looking at the futures right now, solidly in the green. This is a bit of a turnaround from earlier where they were flat to fractionally lower. Right now, the Dow looks like it would open up about 50 points higher. Again, the S&P and the Nasdaq moving to the upside. This after a mixed month for the major averages. They saw the S&P and the Nasdaq extend their monthly win streaks to three. While, as you can see, the Dow, that's the white line here on the chart, it fell behind. Much more than the Nasdaq's outperformance in just a moment. Checking the bond market, looking at yields on the benchmark 10-year, they've actually declined from their month high. Actually, it was just on May the 29th, earlier this week. So earlier this week, we are at 3.81. Now we're at 3.67. Still seeing elevated yields on the two-year and other short-term bonds. We'll talk more about that later on in the show. Now turning to energy, specifically oil. Oil coming off its worst session since March and its worst month since November of 2021. This morning, we're seeing more of the same from what we saw yesterday. WTI crude below $70 a barrel. It is moving slightly to the upside, but again, below 70 bucks a barrel. We'll talk more about that later on in the show. We're seeing Brent crude, the international benchmark, basically at 7285 up a third of a percent as well. Natural gas basically flat, fractionally higher. And looking at crypto as well this morning, Bitcoin and Ether seeing their worst month of the year in May. This morning, in the red, both of them, Bitcoin just a tick below 27,000, down a half a percent. Ether still below that 2,000 mark that seems to be key for the digital currency, down fractionally this morning. All right, time to take a look around the world. A mostly higher session over in Asia overnight that saw the Nikkei gain nearly 1%. And then in Europe, that trading day just getting underway right now. Taking a look at Europe in the green as well. The German DAX, the best performer, up over 1%. Turning our attention to Washington now. And our top story this morning, as it has been for several days, the House passing the bipartisan debt ceiling bill by a wide margin last night. It now has the Senate for debate and a possible vote on Friday. NBC's Bree Jackson joins me now live from Capitol Hill. Bree, turns out it wasn't that contentious after all. It kind of passed by pretty easily. 
Yeah, it did have overwhelming support, but the bill to raise the debt ceiling is now on the Senate calendar, and the Senate, uh, senators can begin the process of moving the bill forward. But similar to the process in the House, we are expecting some opposition from both sides of the aisle. The bill is passed. And with that gavel, the debt limit agreement passes the House with overwhelming bipartisan support. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy taking a victory lap. This is the biggest cut and savings this Congress has ever voted for. Tonight, I hope we proved it to you again, that we put the citizens of America first. And we didn't do it by taking the easy way. Many hardline Republicans opposed the bill, but House Democrats helped push it through. Street MAGA Republicans attempted to take control of the House floor. Democrats took it back for the American people. In a statement, President Biden praised the House and urged the Senate to vote quickly, saying the agreement is a bipartisan compromise. Neither side got everything it wanted. The hard-fought deal faces even more pushback in the upper chamber. House leadership wants us in the Senate to rubber stamp a mammoth increase of $4 trillion in new debt in exchange for supposedly $1.5 trillion of claimed deficit reduction. This agreement is nowhere near as bad as the Republican original proposal, which would have been devastated. Uh, but I think for a variety of reasons, the no vote is right. Others are on the fence. I got to go through all the details. Every time you turn over the rock, there's something else slimy under it. With the June 5th deadline looming, Congress must act fast in order to avoid a potentially catastrophic debt default. Some Republicans in the Senate are pledging to introduce amendments which could delay the bill's passage. But Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has already warned senators that they may have to stay through the weekend to get this measure passed. Frank. So, Bree, Republicans needed Democrats to get the bill pushed through the, the House. But in the Senate, it seems like this might be kind of flipped. Democrats actually need Republicans to get on board. Yeah, that's right. So Democrats have the majority here in the Senate. Uh, and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, Schumer and Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, uh, they seem to be unified in getting their members on board with this measure, getting it passed through the Senate and getting it to the president's desk before that June 5th deadline, Frank. All right, our Bree Jackson live in D.C. Bree, great job as always. Always great to see you. All right, time now for a check on this morning's top corporate stories. Silvana Hanau, it's great to see you as well. Good morning, Frank. All right, let's start off. So no green wave at Big Oil this year. ExxonMobil and Chevron shareholders late yesterday solidly rejecting climate change proposals during the company's annual meetings. A stark difference from their European counterparts where resolutions related to global warming received strong support. Now, only 11 percent of Exxon shareholders supported a petition calling for the company to set emission reduction targets. A similar proposal at Chevron saw less than 10 percent support. The CEO of ChatGPT parent OpenAI is wrapping up his week-long European tour with a one-on-one -on -one with European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen. Now, today's meeting comes just one week after OpenAI CEO Sam Altman said his company might consider leaving Europe if it fails to comply with the block's, up, with the block's upcoming AI regulations. Now, comments he has since scaled back. 
and shares of EV maker Lucid Motors falling ahead of the open. The company says it's raising about $3 billion through a new equity offering with a majority coming from current top stakeholder, the Saudi Public Investment Fund. Lucid says it will use the new cash for, quote, general corporate purposes, including capital expenditures and working capital. Now, the company has about $3.4 billion in cash and about $700 million available credit, credit lines as of March 31st. And that's according to its most recent report, Frank. Savannah right, Hanel, we'll see you later on the show. Thank you, you very much. All right, turning over to Wall Street again, uh, gearing up for the start of the new trading month as we've seen a relatively resilient market fueled by tech and AI. We saw the Nasdaq rally nearly 6% in May, while the Dow saw its first down month in three. According to Dow Jones, in May, we saw the widest margin of Nasdaq outperformance over the Dow since the dot-com bubble. A very similar story for the S&P 500. Also, top-heavy with tech and beating the Dow by its widest margin since February of 2000. The concentration of the $40 trillion stock market with just Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, and Amazon and NVIDIA alone making up more than a quarter of it, more than 25%. That's become a key focus for many investors who now worry about how long these five names can keep the rally going and the narrow breadth of this run-up. Let's talk a lot more about this with Ryan Bellinger, Claro Advisors founder and managing principal. Great to see you. Good morning. All right. So I want to focus on another stock outside of that concentration. I'm talking about C3 AI. Shares are down about 20 percent this morning. What do you think that means about this whole AI craze? What are you telling your your clients about AI and the investability of it at this point? Yeah, look, I think it's exciting. Certainly, there's a lot of possibilities. um, And it's just probably just too early to tell uh, from an investing perspective which companies uh, can provide a shareholder value and which are just kind of along for the ride. It, it reminds me a lot of uh, recent crazes uh, dating back to blockchain uh, when anybody that kind of mentioned blockchain on earnings calls got a pop in their stock or even uh, changed their name to incorporate blockchain. And then there was the, the cannabis wave where similar uh, you know kind of things were happening right. as it relates to themes in the stock market and, and the AI Praise is uh, very similar to that in my perspective. There's a lot of buzz. Uh, it'll take time uh, to figure out which one of these companies can can provide shareholder value. There might be a few, um, but I think it's just too early now to, to buy any name that is mentioning AI okay. uh, because it's kind of a, just a popular theme at the moment. So you're mentioning the few. Some of the names we just talked about at the very top of the market, keeping this rally going. We're talking NVIDIA, Alphabet, Microsoft, et cetera. Are you believers in those stocks that they can continue to move higher? Are you worried about the narrow breadth of this rally? Yeah, it's a, it's a fair point. It's, a, it's actually historically when there's been such narrow breadth, the performance in the future has been pretty good uh, in the short term, I'm talking six to, to 12 months. Uh, and then things typically tend to break down from there. Uh, you know, we are uh, concerned with some of the multiple valuations uh, that are some of these stocks are, are are commanding right now. I think they're uh, very lofty expectations to continue to meet. Um, but the investors have been rewarded for this. Uh, this has certainly been a contrarian trade. A lot of people were focused on uh, the dividend paying stocks and, you know, staying more value. And and the Nasdaq has proved very resilient. So Absolutely. you got to give it credit to investors who stuck with it. Uh, they've certainly uh, been rewarded for that. And I think if uh, from their perspective, they should be considering taking some profits. All right. Brian Bellinger of Claro. Thank you very much. Appreciate having you here. 
All right, a lot Thanks. more come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors just have to know today. But first, oil coming off its worst month of the year ahead of another key OPEC meeting this weekend and the talk of a possible Saudi-Russia price war bubbling. Plus, the one thing Elon Musk did not do while he took in the sights in China this week and then later call it a cause for concern. While the ultra-rich are holding a record amount of cash, even as the global markets inch towards record highs. We have a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your big money movers, three stock stories of the morning. We start with shares of C3AI. Plunging just about 20 percent after posting weaker than expected revenue guidance. And that's despite a top and bottom line beat for fiscal Q4. Still, this stock has certainly been on a tear this year, skyrocketing more than 250 percent. The company saying it has never been better positioned within the rapidly growing enterprise AI market. As we mentioned, shares down more than 19 percent, actually off their lows earlier this morning. All right, Salesforce also beating quarterly expectations on EPS and revenue, also offering strong earnings guidance for the current quarter and for the full year. Still, shares are down more than 5%. CEO Mark Benioff attributing the beat to the company's restructuring plans, productivity, and investment into AI on Mad Money last night. We're laser-focused on our restructuring, improving our productivity, our performance, prioritizing our core innovations like AI and CRM, and delivering for our shareholders. And, Jim, as you can see from the quarter, productivity is up, profitability is up, revenue is up, and, Jim, cash flow is dramatically up, as you saw these incredible cash flow numbers. And we're also increasing our margin guidance for the year to our record annual 28%. We couldn't be more excited. And Chewy getting a treat for its huge bottom line beat with gross margins topping expectations due to lower than anticipated promotional activity shares up more than 17 percent. The pet company highlighting its pricing power as the driver for the beat as customers continue to show durability and product loyalty in these non-discretionary categories and are showing no signs of trading down. Again, shares up more than 17 percent. All right, ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, the stock wreck of the morning. Plus, Waze gets a legendary new voice, NBA fans get a free burrito, and Elon Musk gets a few billion dollars richer. Your top trending stories are coming up after this. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. 
I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. All right, welcome back to Wax. Oil prices are rising today, clawing back some of yesterday's losses. Looking right now, WTI basically at 68 and a quarter. Brent crude just below 73. The market's coming off a disastrous month. WTI dropping 11% in May, its worst performance since November of 2021. Brent falling 8.6%, its worst month since November of 2022. Its own worries about the debt ceiling, a possible U.S. recession, China's uneven recovery, and questions around the OPEC Plus meeting this weekend. Let's bring in Luis Dixon, head of oil analytics research at Rystad Energy. Luis, good morning. Good morning. So we were just talking about the prices just now. What does it mean to see WTI below 70 bucks a barrel for OPEC and what could it mean for this upcoming meeting? Yeah, well, I think even for the it's not just, you know, as you mentioned, the the month of May that has been a bit turbulent in the oil markets, but it's really been the last five to six months. And again, all sort of the the heavier macro factors, uh, you know, more and more are solidifying onto sort of the, the bearish trajectory. And in relation to how this is going to impact, again, you know, U.S. policy, OPEC policy, I think we're going to have a couple clear signposts on that in the upcoming days. So you're saying we're going to get some signposts in the coming days. So what, what are we what are we looking at now? Like, what are the signs telling you right now that you think you're going to get more clarity about in coming days? Well, of course, there's the the upcoming OPEC ministerial meeting and. At this meeting, I think we're going to get a really clear signal from the group of whether, at least in their calculations, whether $80, if we're speaking in Brent or 70 in WTI, whether this is a price point for the group that is a floor that they're willing to defend, or if it's going to eventually become a ceiling as, you know, these these macro um, economic turbulent factors work themselves out over the next couple months. Okay, so we're looking for signs of cut, no cut. Um, Let's talk about two members of this group, Saudi Arabia and Russia. They're having a bit of a dispute right now. How would you characterize it? And do you know the break even for each one of them? Is that going to be a big influence on the final decision? Sure. This this schism is is not um, is not something new to the oil market or for oil watchers. So Saudi Arabia and Russia, as you mentioned, have very different uh, budgetary price concerns. And again, what we've seen in the last five months with the introduction, again, um, you know, Russia didn't introduce the price caps uh, or, you know, crude bans on themselves. However, this has dramatically reshaped the whole uh, strategy of OPEC. So the price caps are, are working. They're keeping prices suppressed. And this is obviously a new challenge for OPEC to navigate. Uh, with regards to Saudi Arabia and Russia, um, you know, it's been, you know, Saudi Arabia is maybe more looking at this break-even price in, in the low to mid-80s, where, uh, you know, previously Russia has cited 42 to $44 uh, dollars, uh, for their euros grade in order to bounce their budget. So, so very, very difference there. Really big difference. Big, big difference in break-even. So probably very different thoughts when it comes to a cut. I know you said in coming days we'll get some more signposts. We'll have to watch out for that. But again, we're looking at WTI below 70 bucks a barrel. Louise Dixon, great to see you. Thank you for the insight. Thank you so much.
All right. Turning now to Elon Musk, wrapping up his first trip to China in almost three years after meeting with top government ministers, a key battery supplier and his company's biggest production hub in Shanghai. Our Eunice Yoon has been tracking his trip. She joins me now. Eunice, it's pretty exciting to watch uh, Elon Musk kind of travel around China. What's the latest on the trip? Well, the latest is that he is heading home after his three-day visit here in China. Uh, He made a a very late-night visit to the Shanghai factory yesterday, where he was greeted by about 100 employees and uh, was uh, said to have treated them to a snack of hamburgers and soft drinks, uh, where he also thanked them for what he described as their amazing work. Uh, In a video that Tesla China PR had posted on social media. Uh, Musk told his Chinese workers that cars produced here are not just the most efficient production, but also the highest quality. Now, there were expectations uh, during his trip that Tesla uh, might have unveiled a refreshed version of its Model 3. That's something that a lot of analysts believe Tesla needs in order to maintain its ground here. Uh, There has been talk that uh, he was shown a prototype of this Model 3, uh, but Tesla has not confirmed that. Uh, Tesla has also not confirmed reports that uh, he may have also met the uh, close confidant of President Xi Jinping, who was the former chief of staff, a vice premier um, that um, is ranks even higher than who many people thought um, would uh, uh, be uh, working very closely with uh, Elon Musk, as well as the premier, um, who um, is seen as um, being very key to managing the economy. All right. So, Eunice, one thing that Elon Musk didn't do, he handed out hamburgers, he visited places. One thing he didn't do was tweet (laughs) while he was in China. What was that all about? I know. It was really interesting to see that he wasn't tweeting. Um, There isn't, as one might expect, um, any discussion about that uh, here in China because Twitter is banned here. Um, in fact, what was interesting was to see how uh, government officials as well as state media personalities were tweeting even more about his trip than he was. Um, there isn't any real theory as to why that would be, uh, although it could be that maybe he didn't want to be seen as um, offending his uh, hosts here in China who uh, don't necessarily appreciate Twitter uh, being used here, or uh, perhaps uh, he didn't want to be put into an awkward position where he'd be tweeting about something thing and for that to actually come up in the discussions here. I mean, all solid theories, but Elon Musk, he seems to be somebody who's a bit of a contrarian. (laughs) So I don't think he always minds getting on people's nerves and under their skin. You know what? (laughs) Theories abound. He's on a plane back here. Eunice Yoon, you're still there. Great reporting as always. Good to see you. All right. Straight ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, we're going to tell you why the world's ultra wealthy are keeping a historic amount of cash on the sidelines and what could be a broader cause for investor concern. Much more Worldwide Exchange after this. It is right around 5.30 a.m. here in the New York City area, and we are just getting started here on Worldwide Exchange. Here's what's still on deck. Off to the Senate. The debt deal clearing the House, teeing up a vote in the upper chamber with just days to get this bill approved. We have Ed Mills here. He's going to lay out the critical timeline for passage and if D.C. drama could still derail things. Tech stocks notching a marvelous May, leaving the broader markets in the background. So will the rally keep up that momentum, or could the new trading month usher in fresh headwinds for this red-hot sector? And sitting on the sidelines, the world's wealthiest investors are staying out of the markets. 
Our Robert Frank is here, standing by with the staggering stat on their massive cash hoards. It is Thursday, June the 1st. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Thanks for waking up with us. Let's pick up the half an hour with the check on U.S. stock futures, where we are seeing some movement in the futures. Right now, we're seeing green across the board, but we have seen them kind of wavering, all three up now, fractionally higher. So this after a mixed May for the major indexes, with the Dow shedding nearly 3.5% and the S&P just eking out a slight gain. The Dow's down here in the white, the NASDAQ in the orange. The real outperformer here, of course, is the NASDAQ, jumping 5.8%. And according to Dow Jones data, this is according to their data, the 9.3% difference between the Dow and the Nasdaq last month was its widest margin since October of 2001. That was just before the dot-com burst. The bulk of last month's gains can be tied directly to just a handful of tech stocks. We're talking the big ones, Alphabet, Apple, NVIDIA, and Meta. The group represents just about 25% of the S&P 500's market cap, but also nearly 50% of the Nasdaq's month-to-date gains in May. All right, now for a check on some of this morning's top stories. Silvana Hanau is back with those. Silvana, good morning again. Frank, good morning again to you. J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon claims that other executives within the bank could have removed Jeffrey Epstein as a client well before that move was actually made. Now, this is according to testimony obtained by CNBC from Diamond's recent deposition tied to two lawsuits against the bank. And Diamond specifically claims that top bank executive Mary Ardoz and former JPM head lawyer Stephen Cutler could have given Epstein the boot well before Ordoz finally made that move in 2013. And Diamond added he had no knowledge about the claims against Epstein in 2006, and he was barely aware of him at all until 2019. ZipRecruiter becoming the latest tech company to announce layoffs. In a regulatory filing, the jobs posting site saying it will cut 20 percent of its workforce. That's about 270 jobs, and roughly half of those cuts will come from sales and customer support positions. Meanwhile, CEO Ian Siegel will take a 30 percent cut to his base salary. An American Airlines CEO announcing the company plans to appeal a court's recent ruling blocking its partnership with JetBlue. The judge ruling earlier this month, the pair's planned union in the Northeast is anti-competitive and ordered the airlines to end the partnership in 30 days. And the airlines argued teaming up would help them better compete against other large airlines in New York and Boston. JetBlue declined to comment to CNBC about whether it would also appeal the ruling, Frank. Silvana Hanau, thank you very much for those headlines. All right, turn our attention back to Washington and the House passing the bipartisan debt ceiling bill by a wide margin last night, despite some strong opposition from far-right Republicans. That bill now heads to the Senate for debate and a possible vote on Friday. Joining me now to discuss is Raymond James, Washington policy analyst and managing director at Mills. Ed, good morning. Good morning, Frank. All right. So going to the Senate now after it passed relatively easily in the House, what are you expecting from the Senate? Could we see some drama there? Well, Frank, this is D.C. We always get a little bit of drama. This has been remarkable. 314 to 117. That's not a lot of drama coming out of the House. Ultimately, we're going to see this pass by a wide margin in the Senate. But the Senate's all about their procedure. It takes 30 hours before you can even vote to vote. Um, So it will pass before the X date, 
but it's not going to be kind of straight through. Uh, someone will object. Someone will get an extra kind of time to talk about this. That's just how D.C., that's how the Senate works. All right, so Adam, listening to you, you didn't say should, you didn't say probably, you really believe this is going to pass. So does that take the risk of default off the table? Does that take the risk of a credit downgrade off the table? So, Frank, uh, the risk of default, I think, is off the table. What we've been telling folks at Raymond James is that it's as important to look at what the impact here on the market going forward is versus that binary conversation we've been having. And one of the concerns I hear a lot from clients is um, what happens when Treasury starts issuing a trillion dollars of net new issuance over the next couple of months? Where does that money come from? We think a lot of that goes into money market funds. A lot of that's in reserve accounts at the Fed. But there is a concern that some of the source of funds is the equity market. And if you get a downgrade from Fitch, which seems fairly likely because one of their concerns is all of the drama surrounding that. Mm-hmm. The drama is not going away, Frank. So uh, if we get that back in 2011, we had a deal, then we had a downgrade, then the market sold off. I don't think it's going to be as severe this time, but it does certainly limit a little bit of the upside excitement that default is off the table. Wait, I want to push back a little bit. Isn't some of the drama going away? I mean, this deal pushes all this past the 2024 election. So for two years, don't we have some stability when it comes to threats to the market from D.C. at least? Yeah, I mean, we have it. You know, I think what's under told about this deal, Frank, is a number of different landmines ahead have just been diffused. But that doesn't change the fact that we still have a debt limit in that we will still fight about it and we will still go to the brink and we still have a chance in the future that we make a mistake. But the things that got diffused is we probably really reduced the threat of a government shutdown uh, come October 1st. That should be positive for the economy. We really reduced some of the political infighting over how much defense gets spent, how much does the IRS get for funding, what happens with student loans. So those type of things absolutely reduce the drama in our positives. But we don't take away the fact that the next time we're here, we have a chance to go even closer to default before we resolve that. A rating agency makes their rating based upon that, not based upon what just happened. All right, Mills, we got to leave the conversation there. One of our more optimistic conversations. Great to see you. Thank you. All right. Putting this D.C. drama to the side for just a moment, wealthy investors showing little appetite for putting their money to work in stocks. In fact, a large chunk of their holdings is tied up in just plain old cash. Our Robert Frank joins us now with the record amount they're sitting on and when it may, when it could start coming back into the markets, Robert. Good morning. That's right, Frank. Uh, Cash is very much king here. Wealthy investors still in wealth preservation mode. The world's ultra high net worth investors. So that's those with a million or more in investable assets. They have 34 percent of their portfolios right now in cash. So that's more than a third. That's up from 24 percent a year ago. That marks a record high going back at least 20 years. That's all according to a study from Capgemini. Their holdings of stocks are at their lowest in 21 years, with stocks accounting for about 23 percent of their portfolios right now. If you look at alternatives, so that's private equity, hedge funds, and other privates, that's holding steady at around 13%, uh, more than two-thirds, saying their priority right now as investors is wealth preservation rather than growth. Even if you look at family offices, so that's investors typically with $100 million or more 
in investable assets, they are moving money to the sidelines still. They're planning to add more fixed income from 12 to 15 percent, and they plan to trim their equities lower to about 24 percent. That's according to a study from UBS. As one family office said, we are not making big bets on anything right now, Frank. So a lot of money is still sitting in cash waiting for these valuations to come down even further. We'll see whether they do or not. Yeah, valuations certainly are elevated in a lot of areas. So let me ask you this. They might not be making any big bets, but are these big investors, are they finding or looking for bargains right now? Yeah, they're starting to nibble in two areas. One is in private equity. So that's either through funds or direct investments, because those valuations have come down a bit. And there's still a lot of private companies where they see value. The other area is, strangely enough, in commercial real estate, especially office buildings in some of the big cities where they haven't seen valuations come down yet, but they're waiting because there could be a lot of buildings going into default, coming up for sale at big discounts. And they see if those prices really hit rock bottom over the long term, and again, these horizons for family offices are like 50 and 100 years sometimes, those could be good deals. All right, Robert, always great to see you. Thank you very much. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, our week-long summer stock spotlight series rolls on, taking a look at experiences and why rising rates and prices are doing little to curb consumers' hunger for travel and experiences. But first, as we head to break, some of your top trending stories. Chipotle is giving you a chance to score a free burrito while watching the NBA Finals with its three-pointer promo. When a player on the Denver Nuggets or the Miami Heat hits a three-point shot, Chipotle will drop a code on Twitter to text. Roger Federer is going from serving aces to serving up directions. The tennis great is the newest celebrity voice on Waves. The 20-time major winner who retired last year can now tell you how to get to your destination in English, German, or French, and will also offer motivational messages. And Elon Musk has reclaimed his title as the world's richest person. The Bloomberg Billionaire's Index estimates his net worth is now just about $192 billion versus $187 billion for LVMH CEO Bernard Arnault. The two have been neck and neck for that number one spot for months. Worldwide Exchange, back in just a moment. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your morning call sheet where we check on a few of the morning's biggest upgrades and downgrades by firms you know and stocks that you like Leon. We begin with J.P. Morgan downgrading Target's rating and price target, moving it from overweight to neutral and from $182 to $144 per share. It cites continued rising concerns for the retailer, including a weakening consumer. Bank of America points out Target shares have closed down for nine days in a row for the first time since 2000. Another downgrade coming from RBC Capital Markets on ExxonMobil's rating, moving it from outperform to sector perform. RBC citing volatility in energy markets and Exxon's earnings momentum and and risk reward becoming more balanced. Shares of ExxonMobil up fractionally this morning. And an upgrade for you with UBS, boosting its price target and its rating for CSX. That's a rail company. Moving it from neutral to buy and from $33 to $37. UBS says the strong network operation from CSX supports productivity opportunities and potential for future growth. Looking at shares of CSX up more than 2% this morning. Turning out our week-long Summer Stock Spotlight series, where we highlight the sectors and the stocks likely to be top of mind for investors this season. Today, we're talking all about experiences, air travel over the Memorial Day holiday, 
showing nearly 9.8 million people taking to the skies last weekend, topping pre-pandemic levels. The strong numbers setting the stage for potentially robust demand for vacations and other travel activities. Joining me now to discuss, Tom White, DA Davidson Senior Research Analyst. Tom, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Morning. So we have seen a broader trend from goods to services. That includes experiences. Does the data show that this trend may be continuing? And if so, how can you invest in it? Yeah, look, so uh, thus far, uh, underlying demand for leisure travel has remained very robust. You know, we, we obviously just heard from all of the major online travel booking sites, uh, first quarter earnings in the last few weeks. And that was really the main takeaway that, um, you know, the mix of, of travel is maybe changing a little bit. You're seeing a, a bit of a recovery or a snapback in kind of more traditional uh, urban travel, traditional hotel bookings, and maybe a little bit of flattening of demand of, of vacation rentals, which is the popular way to to get away uh, during the pandemic. But that underlying desire for folks to, to get out and experience the world is, is still very strong. Uh, maybe a little bit of a slowdown in, in the in the price of rooms, but on a year-over-year basis, um, what we call average daily rates or ADRs are still up generally kind of across the board. So uh, the, 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 the demand is there and uh, people seem to be prioritizing services and getting out over uh, maybe some other um, areas of spending. So I want to hit on one of your points. You're saying people are, are leaning more towards staying in hotels, more traditional travel. So is that just an overall negative for an Airbnb and just an overall positive for the hotel operators like a Marriott or a Hilton? Yeah, look, I think, uh, you know, uh, short answer is yes. I mean, I think Airbnb obviously had a spectacular last two years, uh, you know, not just in the sense of uh, them being the only game in town if you wanted to get away and, and, and travel, but really also just this new kind of customer acquisition opportunity. Uh, so many uh, uh, new customers, uh, all different types of demographics, really seeking out the platform because it, it was the only kind of safe way to travel. We think those customer cohorts that they acquired will continue to sort of pay off. People are still going to use vacation rentals, obviously. Um, but uh, growth is going to normalize here a bit. Uh, and yeah, you know, the, the traditional hotel operators, the traditional hotel booking sites, I think we'll see a little bit of a kind of a share shift tilt, tilt back to them. All right. So you're talking uh, booking holdings, uh, Expedia, those kind of traditional travel sites. So I want to talk to you about something else. We're talking about new opportunities, the experiences business. Airbnb's gotten into that. Uber's gotten into that. Where's that at right now? Yeah, look, I think right now it's still relatively small. Uh, It's it's a very logical extension, though, for companies like Airbnb, uh, Uber, as you mentioned, even companies like TripAdvisor, uh, Booking Holdings, Expedia, all of the big kind of traditional online travel sites are trying to extend their sphere of influence, if you will, uh, into things that... Uh, the traveler does when they're in destination. So, uh, you know, these companies all generate revenue from kind of the, the travel research and, and, and booking side of it. But now that you have a mobile phone, now that you're in destination, uh, they can uh, find new ways to, to, to monetize you. And, 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 and tourism experiences and attractions is a good way for them to do that. All right. So it's all about travel. It's all about experience. What's your top pick in this space? Yeah, right now uh, we continue to have a buy rating on Airbnb. Uh, we think they, they they just have again that that customer acquisition opportunity they had during the pandemic. We think is going to pay dividends uh, for years to come. We're generally positive though on the other traditional booking sites, uh, booking holdings and Expedia. We're we're, we're t- uh, technically neutral at the moment, but continue to have a a, a broadly gen- uh, positive view kind of on, on the category. All right, Tom White, great to have you here. Thank you for the insight. All right, ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, the one word that every investor needs to know today, 
Diamond Hills' Heather Brilliant tees up the brand new trading month and the stocks that are high on her shopping list, including one beaten up beverage maker that's lifting her spirits. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Worldwide Exchange, back right after this. Live shots from around the world this morning. We're looking at London, Hong Kong, New York, and Washington, D.C. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It is time now for what we like to call your WEX wrap-up. These are six stories that you need to know before the opening bell. NVIDIA CEO Jensen Wong says he feels perfectly safe about relying heavily on Taiwan for manufacturing and plans to meet with executives from chip manufacturer Taiwan Semi and electronics maker Foxconn tomorrow. Sticking with Asia, the U.S. and Taiwan are set to sign their first deal under a new trade talk framework today following negotiations that started last August. China's foreign ministry out with a statement ahead of that event saying the U.S. should stop any form of official exchanges with Taiwan under the guise of trade. Twitter CEO Elon Musk radio silent on the platform during his first trip to China since the pandemic with the lack of tweets marking Elon Musk's longest such hiatus since June of 2022. But now that he's left the country, he has tweeted. Back here in the U.S., shares of CrowdStrike not striking a positive tone, tumbling after the company reported slowing revenue growth up to four, up 42% this year compared to a 61% increase last year. Nordstrom shares moving in the opposite direction, moving higher on a Q1 earnings and sales beat as high-end shoppers continue to spend despite an uncertain macro environment. And shares of EV maker, maker Lucid Motors falling after the company said it's raising about $3 billion through a new equity offering with the majority coming from top current stakeholder, the Saudi Public Investment Fund. Shares of Lucid down nearly 9%. All right, gearing up for the trading day ahead. Two key pieces of employment data out this morning with the release of the monthly ADP report and weekly initial jobless claims. We also get ISM manufacturing figures. And we get earnings from Macy's, Dollar General, Broadcom, Dell, and Lululemon. Minutes from the European Central Bank's latest policy meeting also released at 7.30 a.m. Eastern. And we hear from Philadelphia Fed President Patrick Harker this afternoon. A lot of people listening for his thoughts about rates. And the FDIC's advisory committee will hold a meeting this morning on issues impacting community banks coming off the financial sector's recent turmoil. With all that on tap, let's see how the new month for the markets is starting to kick off right now. Taking a look at futures Again, very early in the trading day, futures green across the board, fractionally higher across the board at this point. The Dow would open up just about 50 points higher. And for more on the trading day, let's bring in Heather Brilliant, CEO at Diamond Hill. Heather, great to have you here. Thanks for having me, Frank. So a lot to think about when it comes to the markets. What's your thought about the fact that we're seeing this debt limit deal move forward? Is that a net positive for the market? Is there anything you're concerned about with this deal? I think it's a net positive. I'm, I'm glad to see some movement on this. Clearly, the, the deadline was looming and everyone was getting nervous about that. But ultimately, I, you know, I really don't think six months from now we're going to be talking about this. I think it's something that is, is going to prove fleeting and needed to happen. But hopefully everything will go smoothly over the next few days. All right. You're very hopeful. So with all that hope in mind, what is your WEX word of the day? Uh, my word of the day is... Um, Essentially inconsequential, immaterial, right? I couldn't remember which one I finally went with. <laughs> it's um, okay. <laughs> 
So the reason why I went with the material is really what I was just saying. You know, we take a very long-term perspective. And so any one trading day, regardless of the fact that we have some nice positive news coming out today, any one trading day is really immaterial when it comes to the long-term picture, when you really think like a long-term investor. And so I think um, immaterial is really the right a word to apply to any single day in the market. All right. So here's something that's not immaterial. The yield on bonds right now. What are you talking to or saying to your clients when it comes to investing in bonds? Have you changed the percentage of the portfolio that's in bonds? And I hate to get so mathematical, but of the bond percentage, how much is that as short term bonds? So we don't actually really allocate our clients between different um, asset classes. What we do is offer uh, offer them portfolios in both equities and fixed income that you know really take a long term perspective on the market. So we do think that there's a lot of really attractive investment opportunities on the fixed income side right now, and our fixed income team is is certainly seeing that. But I would, it's not something where I'd say. Um, you know, we don't work with individual investors and allocate across them. Instead, we really work with intermediaries and um, help them help their clients by providing them with investment solutions. OK, well, speaking of investment solutions, a lot of people are looking for stocks to invest in outside of the, the big uh, AI focused stocks that are really at the top of the market. What are you looking at outside of those big names, outside of NVIDIA, Alphabet, Microsoft? So my, my favorite really to talk about today is a company called Ferguson, and it is a distributor, which I think there's a lot of things about the business models of distributors that can make really great long-term investment opportunities. Um, the challenge is it can, be cha- it can be hard to find these businesses trading at a discount to what we think they're worth. And so, you know, for every business that we invest in, we look at um, whether we have, um, you know, whatever the an opportunity is that we can see across um, the long-term cash flow generation of the business. And with a business like Ferguson, you really see very strong competitive advantages where they're working with tons of um, suppliers and also tons of clients. And by creating that kind of funnel, they're helping these distributors, they're helping the, their end clients um, benefit from a very wide array of distribution. And um, they particularly focus on plumbing-related products as well as HVAC-related um, supplies and that is an area of the market that has generally been relatively sta- uh, steady and stable and benefited from the strong economy that we've seen over the last decade. There could be some bumps as we okay. go into the next few months. But, you know, we certainly think that's something that's creating the opportunity. Let's get to some of your other picks, including one in the alcohol space, Diageo. Sure. So Diageo is an, uh, a really interesting company from the perspective that everybody's aware of Diageo and has heard of it. Right. Um, we all are familiar with a lot of their alcohol brands that they distribute throughout the world. And I think when it comes to Diageo, we're really um, interested in it because it's trading at a discount. And again, as I said, that's something that you don't always see from these very high quality, strong competitive advantage businesses over time. Now with Diageo in particular, their distribution is very strong across the world. They'll really benefit from growth in emerging markets. So that gives kind of an additional tailwind to the idea of Diageo and Ultimately, we think it's an opportunity to own a really great long-term business at a at a discount to intrinsic value. All right. So it sounds like you're kind of looking for deals right now. I think a lot of people are bargain hunting. Very quickly before we let you go, um, when you look at the broader market, are you seeing any catalyst for a big upside move? Honestly, we really don't think about it that way. I'd say what we are fundamentally doing is just looking for great businesses trading at a discount to what they're worth. And that's really what we find in Ferguson and in Diageo. So that's uh, that's why we picked those to, to focus on today. All right. Heather, brilliant. Great to have you here. Thank you very much. That's going to do it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. We've got Squawk Box coming up next. Thanks for watching.
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Picture this. You're on a John Deere compact tractor, enjoying the sun as you clear brush across your pasture. You just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you.